Chapter Eleven of Recollections of Imperial Russia by Mariel Buchanan. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Other Memories of Moscow. Many other pictures of the Kremlin come crowding in my mind painted rooms with low arches, state staircases, carved doors and gates of richly chased bronze, gilded railings, huge rooms with polished floors, the Hall of St. George the private chapel of our saviour on high where the princes sought sanctuary the terem with its low chambers and crudely coloured walls the hall of the feasts part of the oldest palace built in fourteen seventy three with its throne of carved wood its brilliant rag carpet its benches covered with gay-coloured embroideries here the tsar held audience or gave huge banquets while the women watched from the tainik or little window in the wall covered with a golden grating and foreign ambassadors marvelled at the gold and silver plate the wealth of jewels and gorgeous apparel i remember going round the treasury where the glittering armour of old-time boyars shone in the shadows where helmets and daggers shields and swords lay idle their work of fighting done stray sunbeams lighting here and there on some finely carved handle some richly adorned breastplate asiatic polish byzantine turkish german arms of all the countries of the world were here with the fading colours of polish and hungarian banners the heavy richness of imperial coronation standards then in another room the fire of jewels flaming in the old crown of vladimir monomachs while beside it lay the seventeenth-century crown of siberia the curiously shaped crown of kazan the heavy crown of peter the great the maltese crown made especially for paul here too was the ivory throne brought to russia by the last of the byzantine princesses sophie palaiolog married to ivan three surnamed the great the throne of boris gudunov sent to him by the shah of persia and studded with two thousand precious stones the quaint double throne of peter the great and his brother ivan and the throne of the tsar alexis studded with eight hundred and seventy-six diamonds as well as over a thousand other jewels on the ground floor were the gorgeous carriages carved and gilded lined with velvet and furs the closed-in sleighs fitted up as rooms with tables and divans the costly jewelled harness and priceless services of china going on to the synodal treasure where the crowns of the patriarch the gorgeous vestments and vessels of gold and silver were kept one came away at last with a feeling almost of intoxication one's eyes tired by the glitter and shimmer of jewels the sheen of rich brocades gratefully one turned to the golden twilight of the churches where from the shadows the faces of gentle madonna smiled at one where the great burnished gates of iconostas which in the russian church replaces the rude screen shut off the sanctuary from the rest of the building where little guttering candles flickered unceasingly before some holy image and in the dusk kneeling figures sunk in an ecstasy of prayer remained impervious and unconscious of one's passing the cathedrals of the kremlin what is there about them that is so hard to forget the uspensky sabor with its golden painted columns and dim old frescoes its icon of the virgin of vladimir painted by st luke brought originally from jerusalem to constantinople then taken to kiev and vladimir and finally in thirteen ninety five brought to moscow here the tsars and emperors were crowned here nine patriarchs lie buried 
here alexis that wretched son of peter the great abjured his right to the throne and here on the outbreak of wars the rulers of russia came to pray for victory the cathedral of the archangel where forty-seven tsars rest in their plain coffins under their velvet palls the body of the little boy murdered at uglitch is buried here and michael ziavalid prince of churigov who refusing to worship the tartar gods fell a martyr to his religion and ivan the terrible and that young warrior michael skopinchewski adored by the people of moscow for his courage and daring the great cathedral of the assumption with its floors of colored jasper its doors covered with panels of finely worked bronze carvings its square columns and painted walls here the tsars were wedded and christened and here too is the picture of the virgin which dmitri donskoy fastened to his black banner when he fought against the tartars at kulikovo there is too the little church of st saviour's in the forest built on the site of that first wooden chapel that stood alone on the kremlin hill when all the country round was forest and meadows and then the bell-tower of ivan Viliki, rising to its height of three hundred and twenty feet topped by its golden dome here hang the thirty-three bells which send their triumphant music to the skies while mute and silent on the square below the great tsar bell which weighs two hundred tons and was destroyed by fire stands on the pedestal erected by montferrand nearly opposite ivan Viliki, on the imperial square rise the rose-pink walls of the chudov monastery founded in thirteen fifty eight as the seat of the metropolitan of moscow here grishka treyepiev said to be the false dmitri lived here vasily shuisky came after abdicating the crown and here the patriarch Hermogenes was starved to death by the poles they say that when ladislas son of sigismund of poland was chosen tsar and old shuisky last descendant of the ruriks to hold the throne sadly acknowledged his failure to save his country ghostly voices were heard chanting a requiem in the archangel cathedral the voices of those ruric princes who mourned the ending of their race troublous times indeed for russia a polish garrison in the kremlin Ermogenes from his prison inciting the people to rise against the heretics and invaders moscow swept by a devastating fire bands of cossacks and marauders scouring the country famine spreading a claw-like hand over the towns and villages then from the people cowed starving leaderless and distraught stepped the burly figure of cosma minin the meat and fish vendor a man bluff and common probably very often drunk ignorant and uneducated and yet in his simple directness of purpose something of a national hero alone he knew he had not sufficient weight to be a leader for the people so with his plain blunt honesty he went to prince pusharsky then nursing his wounds at his estate near moscow you and i to save our country and the orthodox faith minin's words were few but pusharsky grasping the big hand this plebeian held out to him saw in him the man who put his country before everything and rough and ready soldier as he was agreed to head the insurrection gladly the people flocked to their call the heroic Hermogenes, slowly agonizing in his prison was urged by the poles to order the armies to disband but steadily refusing to do so died at last a prayer for russia's safety on his lips and perhaps in his heart a vision of her ultimate release 
and now shut up in the kremlin surrounded by a ruined city an unfriendly populace and invading armies began the terrible siege of the polish garrison through the golden days of august the soft grey days of september waiting always in vain for the help sigismund was to send them lacking ammunition lacking water lacking food eating the bodies of cats and mice boiling down treasured greek missiles to a kind of gruel they still held on with a grim endurance behind those impregnable walls famine stalked there stark and naked cannibalism frightful and terrifying grinned with chattering teeth from the shadows death and disease and despair held carnival then in october the outlying kitai gorod surrendered to posharsky and minin and a few days later the poles marched out of the kremlin leaving the devastated churches the ruined palaces the ghastly relics of their heroic resistance behind them the banner of the russian double-headed eagle floated again above the liberated citadel the hand of st george had once more been stretched out to save his holy town of moscow and in the red square the people knelt with tears streaming down their faces when the icon of the virgin of vladimir was carried out unharmed but sigismund of poland with his son too late indeed to save the starving garrison of the kremlin was still advancing on russian land and there was no crowned elected tsar to confront him with his sacred rights for a time the people wavered between the romanovs beloved ever since the memory of anastasia the first wife of ivan the terrible one of the galitsins or the shuaskis or posharsky himself by boris gudunov torn away from his wife and children and banished to a monastery where he took the name of filaret his son michael was only sixteen years of age at the time of the surrender of the polish garrison and when the choice of the people fell on him his mother for a long time hesitated to let him take the heavy responsibility of the crown of russia but at last on may two sixteen fifteen he made his triumphal entry into moscow and with his coronation on july eleven began the long dynasty of the romanov sovereigns the troublous times were ended the citizens of moscow could once more rebuild their ruined city carpenters and masons worked by day and night while the young tsar aided in the difficult task of governing by his father who had been elected patriarch slowly overcame the rebellious cossack armies and the poles who still fought for the supremacy of the russian lands on the varvarka not far from the red square stands the old house of the romanovs which has been restored to nearly the same state in which it was when theodore romanov first looked down into the crumpled pink face of the baby who was to be the grandfather of peter the great and the first of a long line of emperors on the second floor above the kitchens and servants quarters was the big room called the chamber of the cross where the head of the house in his stiff robes of brocade received the priests who came on feast days to bless the dwelling here too were given the banquets where men ate hugely and drank heavily discussed the state of russia the wisdom or foolishness of the tsar's government the beauty wit or stupidity of their wives on one side of this room was the private study of the boyer and on the other a small oratory with beyond two dark shut-in rooms used as a nursery from there a winding staircase led to the terem or women's apartments where the long aimless empty days of the boyer's wife passed in unending boredom and neglect unless she had seen her future husband at some state church service she very likely did not even know what his face was like before she married him 
while the thickly veiled bride who her trembling hand in his went through the long church service by his side remained a mystery to him till after dining he stepped into the bridal chamber led by eight little boys with burning candles which they placed round the room before retiring colour and romance and brutal savagery always side by side the clear melodious voices of the kremlin bells the shrieks of some wretched prisoner receiving twenty strokes of the knout on the red square miserable hovels hardly fit for animals the glittering domes of the great cathedrals the barbaric splendour of some boyer's palace the gorgeousness of the reception-rooms the stark discomfort of the living apartments everywhere magnificence and misery jostling each other the impressive majesty of the kremlin walls the blue mist that rises from the river and drifts across the low wasteland where the mangled body of the false dimitri was thrown starving beggars crowding on the steps of the churches boyars in gleaming brocades velvets and sables jostling the gorgeous trelitzii guard the tsar in a golden dress embroidered with pearls and precious stones a queer-shaped fur bonnet with long thin golden chains on his head riding down from the kremlin to go hare-hunting from the churches the sound of singing voices from taverns and palaces the sound of drunken merrymaking from some secret cell the heartbroken sobbing of a woman the groans of tortured prisoners i remember going through fantastically magnificent rooms in old dim palaces in moscow buying painted wooden toys and lacquer boxes in the big peasants workshop near the theatre square wandering in dusty curiosity shops where broken pieces of jewellery caucasian daggers battered samovars brilliant oriental embroidery and bright-coloured leather shoes lay in unutterable confusion and then going on to the warehouse where the gorgeous brocades for the priest's vestments were sold fashioned of gold or silver stuff sometimes so stiff that they could almost stand alone with intricate patterns of crosses chalices lilies and doves woven into them or plain and soft as the thinnest of silk one fingered them almost reverently let the shimmering folds slip through one's fingers and thought of those old frescoes on the walls of the churches where saints and princes noblemen and queens walked softly with the splendour of their brocades in never-ending processions always in all things was there about moscow an old-world atmosphere something that set it apart from europe petersburg for all the breadth and brilliance of the neva the glitter of golden domes might from some aspects have been a cosmopolitan city the society might have been that of london paris or vienna but moscow had remained entirely russian keeping proudly aloof from the changes of modern customs clearly i remember a dinner given us by the director of the kremlin palace his wife was a lovely old lady with the whitest of hair the softest of blue eyes and the most exquisite manners i have ever seen she might have stepped out of some eighteenth-century romance so gentle was she so charming and yet never fulsome always a great lady always on her dignity and yet never stiff and rigid two old men-servants with grey whiskers and white cotton gloves served at table and we had a true russian dinner beginning with pickled cucumbers caviar and vodka continuing with red borscht soup with cream and an endless number of succeeding dishes directly we got up from table everybody went to thank the hostess while according to the old russian custom when the men raised her frail little jewelled hand to their lips she bent and lightly kissed their forehead it was not perhaps a very amusing evening there were as far as i can remember 
two or three other members of the imperial household an old general with a short grizzly beard and very fierce blue eyes two old ladies with smoothly brushed hair and wonderful pearls a young girl in a badly made white dress trimmed with daisies very pink cheeks a snub nose and lovely soft brown eyes two or three young officers shy and correct and entirely immersed in military matters and one nondescript civilian brilliantly clever but untidy and silent no as far as amusement went one could not say that the dinner sparkled and yet there was about it a certain charm the spell of old traditions the fragrance of something untouched by all the noisy modern glare and glitter and false meretricious gaiety it had been like this fifty a hundred two hundred years ago and one could have imagined it continuing so for another hundred years it would indeed probably have done so had not the war come bringing in its train revolution and bolshevism i have often wondered since what happened to that old lady with the silver hair and i have hoped for her sake that she died before the kremlin became a bolshevik citadel flaunting its scarlet banner in the face of europe when war was declared in nineteen fourteen and we went again to moscow for the ceremonies attending the official proclamation of war i met her again she was beside me during the service in the uspensky cathedral where the emperor had come to pray for victory to be given to the russian army regardless of her age and her white lace dress kneeling on the stone floor transported in an ecstasy of prayer the tears running unheeded down her cheeks while all the time her trembling lips whispered over and over again the same words o lord give us victory save our country and the emperor the bells of ivan Veliki rang out with clamouring voices that same prayer from all the other churches other bells answered and took up the cry till the rose-red walls of the kremlin seemed to shiver shaken by the thunder while the huge crowd that stretched away across the palace square to the chudov monastery down to the spaskaya gate knelt in rapt emotion singing the national anthem this was no longer the twentieth century europe with its culture and modern progress had sunk away this was the old moscow of the tsars little mother moscow threatened and besieged over and over again and yet always miraculously emerging from her smoking ruins civilization education imposing on people a stern repression of all feelings could do nothing here to shake the people's childlike faith we were back in the days when the sacred icons were carried into battle when the church was more powerful than the state when the court of russia resembled a monastery more than a palace looking out over that kneeling crowd past those fantastic buildings those great golden-domed churches one could fancy one saw the figure of ivan the terrible in a dress of cloth of silver coming down the red staircase to receive some foreign ambassadors or go to witness an execution on the lobnoi mest or boris gudnoff riding out to fight the khan kazi garai with his army of krim tartars one could almost hear the hideous clamour when the false dmitri fought for his life through the palace corridors and the hoarse shouts of the revolting strelitsii calling for the blood of the narishkins fierce dormant only but never extinguished the passions of those old days would not be hard to wake even so praying on their knees had the people of moscow received the false dmitri even so had they acclaimed boris gudnoff as tsar one looked at them and one wondered 
would that lust for killing wake in them again one day would they sweep through the streets their humanity forgotten swamped in the frenzy that made of them not men and women but one great ferocious beast mad with the madness of primitive savage instincts that terrible infection of crowds what civilization in the world can guard against it what principles what education can quell it or subdue it fragments of human beings thrown together quiescent very likely dull apathetic and patient good-natured even perhaps and then a spark a word quickly spoken a blow given hastily a woman's scream the sound of a shot and the crowd that before was impassive now just one great unbridled force imbued with the instinct to kill late in the afternoon of that radiant august day we drove out to the sparrow hills and through the shimmering haze looked back at moscow with its golden-domed churches its glittering spires and crosses here on this spot napoleon's grand army weary and battered halted with the rapturous cry moscow moscow and from here the man who had made himself emperor of france had his first glimpse of that fair city of his dreams the story of napoleon's entry into moscow is well known we have been told of his bitter mortification and rage when he learned that the city had been abandoned by the government that no mayor or officials would come out to receive him and hand him the keys his entry through the silent deserted streets where a few cowering citizens watched him with malignant hatred in their eyes was not like that triumphant entry he had planned one old crippled soldier barring his entrance through the barovitsky gate fell beneath the blows of his guard a nameless victim but the walls of the kremlin stood silent and grim the town seemed almost deserted the bells of the churches were mute looking out from the palace late that evening did napoleon draw a sigh of self-content had he not conquered the world did he not stand now where the tsars of russia had stood autocrat and master of this town of churches and palaces and riches unthinkable many of the holy icons some of the most valuable of the kremlin's treasures had been removed by rostopchin but the decision to sacrifice moscow had been taken finally at a moment's notice katasov withdrawing hurriedly with his army had left but little time and the churches and palaces were full still of their store of gold and silver and precious stones the red september sunset flaming on dome and spire the blue dusk stealing round the kremlin walls the sound of moving regiments of french voices shouting commands the chorus of a french song rising from some narrow street the glint of french uniforms along the battlements war-weary and hungry the soldiers of the grande armee had taken possession of the city of the tsars seeking to forget with wine and song the grim battle of borodino where neither side had been victorious and neither side defeated then in the gathering hyacinth-coloured twilight a sudden spurt of crimson fire from the warehouses beyond the trading rows another one to the right the flickering light gleaming on the golden domes the acrid smell of smoke borne on the soft evening air some house burning somewhere ah well had not the soldiers been promised moscow and their share of plunder what did it matter if they set light to some old wooden barns but all during the night the flames spread while fresh conflagrations seemed to start in all directions the fire brigade and engines had been removed from moscow by order of rostopchin 
the french soldiers drunk with wine and triumph at first made no attempt to check the flames but amidst the rolling clouds of smoke made the most of the official permission given to sack and pillage the burning houses the next morning the sunlight was obscured by the heavy pall of smoke that lay over the city the warehouses along the quays were swept by flames the stores of oils and spirits in the gostinoi door had caught fire showers of sparks of burning wood and lead rained down on the palace roof the kremlin seemed surrounded by a sea of fire the crackling of wood the crashing fall of masonry the occasional explosion of some store of spirit the hoarse shouts of those who tried to fight the tempest the screams of those imprisoned in burning houses was this moscow or was it a hell on earth napoleon who at first had refused to believe that the fires were anything but accidental was forced at last to see that this city of his ultimate desire had chosen rather to perish than to fall into the hands of a foreign invader orders were given to shoot all incendiaries the imperial guard was sent to try and overcome the conflagration but the elements themselves seemed to fight against the french and all during the night a fierce wind drove the flames on with increasing fury helping them in their work of destruction till at last the kremlin itself was threatened and napoleon had to seek refuge in the palace of petrovsky then at last on september five a heavy rainfall which continued for twenty-four hours quenched the raging fury of the fires and after three days absence the conqueror of moscow rode back into the smoking city where the silent streets were carpeted with red-hot cinders where the air was full of the fumes of still smouldering ruins while here and there a fire still burned with sullen unquenched ferocity and a homeless population and a starving army clamoured insistently for food after remaining on for a month in the midst of this tragic desolation napoleon and his army withdrew to begin that grim and terrible retreat so well known to history while marshal mortier staying on to carry out the emperor's instructions finally left moscow on october eleven firing a cannon from Philly, this being the prearranged signal to blow up the kremlin but either heavy rain had destroyed the trails of gunpowder laid to the mines or else the powder itself was bad and the mines badly placed for the terrific explosion which shattered the silence of the dark october night and which was to have laid the proud walls of the kremlin in the dust did little more than bring down one of the towers and ruin the nikolsky gate miraculously sparing the image of the saint and leaving the rest of the walls the churches and palaces intact so once more the ruins of moscow were rebuilt once more busy streets teeming with traffic formed themselves and the great cathedral of st saviour's with its five gilt domes was raised to commemorate the deliverance from the invaders museums theatres hospitals schools factories and warehouses sprang up in all directions and in every history book one reads how trade and commerce prosper how the risk of fire is diminished how the dangers of invasion and destruction are over but when those books were written the word bolshevism was still unknown and the system of government under the password of liberty had not yet taught the russian people a more rigid tyranny than they had ever known under grand princes or tartars tsars or emperors the kremlin walls still stand to-day with the scarlet banner flying there where the imperial standard with the double-headed eagle used to fly 
but the churches are empty and despoiled of their jewelled icons the treasury is bare in the palaces soldiers with muddy boots lounge on brocaded sofas and men who speak of the high ideals of equality and freedom the while their hands are stained with blood give orders surround themselves with mystery with precautions and a close protection no autocrat of russia ever dreamed of in the town the streets are falling into disrepair the houses are filthy and dilapidated slops are thrown out of the windows doors and shutters bang furniture has been cut up for firewood curtains and hangings torn down the house bureau quarters whom it pleases on peaceable citizens who find their home circle invaded by workmen and students bringing unspeakable dirt and disorder into their rooms and if ever the rule of terror ends if ever the powers that tyrannize over moscow are overthrown will they go leaving anything behind or in their passing will they annihilate the pride of those rose-red walls leaving only crumbling ruins and fetid dust behind the future alone can say the future that knows the ultimate fate of the people of moscow cowering now under the supervision of the dreaded cheka called the state political department the horrors of the days of ivan the terrible the pitiless executions of peter the great the absolute autocracy of nicholas too has not the terror of the cheka the iron hand of trotsky the fear of the red army surpassed them all when the blue mist steals up from the river do the spirits of moscow's dead gather on the red square does the low wind bring their whispering voices up to the great cathedrals where the princes and patriarchs sleep and in the church of the archangel do they not hold their ghostly requiem mourning the fallen might of their country praying for her future deliverance and reinstatement princes in gleaming brocades soldiers and peasants and priests faces evil or cruel or saint-like jewels that flame with sullen splendor shimmering candlelight the flickering fury of flames drifting smoke and flying figures the spirits of moscow flocking on the red square shifting and passing in unending sequence the great walls remain impassive wonderful the sunshine still lights the golden domes and the heart of russia is still an unread secret End of chapter eleven